0: Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Life Point Christian Church podcast. Let's get started. All right. Well, like I said, last week we began a new teaching series called To the Church in Elk Grove. And I want to start off with a question. By show of hands, how many of you are familiar with the character Pink Panther? Right? Pink Panther. The majority of you, if you don't, it's an image on the screen behind me to help jog your memory. But the Pink Panther was a character in a TV show that began in the 60s and 70s. And since then, there have been multiple remakes of the TV show and some live action films. The last series of films began back in 2006, starring Beyonce and Steve Martin. Now, in those films, Steve Martin played the role of Inspector Clouseau. And whenever Inspector Clouseau was on the case, things tend to get a little bit messy. However, he is completely unaware of his incompetence, just absolutely unaware of how awful at his job he actually is. In fact, there was one line that described, or somebody described his, uh, Inspector Clouseau as brimming with self confidence. And completely lost, right? I love that. Brimming with self-confidence and completely lost. Now, I know that we have all come across people in our lives who meet that very description, right? Completely lost. And, And despite the confidence that they have in their, or they have this confidence in their abilities, even though their abilities are lacking. Now, If you have teenagers or if you work with teenagers, you come across this all the time, right? This is an everyday thing in the life of a teenager. Sorry, no offense. Um, Now, here's the thing, though. Unfortunately, this description is met by adults as well. Some of you are like, yeah, I work with those people. I know them personally. You might even live under the same roof as some of these individuals. And to state it bluntly, they have confidence that is based on a delusion, it is certainly not grounded in reality or truth. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. We've all come across someone who they think their singing voice is the voice of an angel, right? We, we all have met this person. And no one else knows how they came to that conclusion because we've heard them sing. And there was no angels present, right? None whatsoever. And oftentimes the reality check they need is to hear themselves singing, right? We also come across this when it comes to sports or athletics, and someone thinks they are physically inclined, physically capable, and maybe they once were, but then they step out onto the field, step out onto the court, and the delusion comes crashing down, right? And this reality check comes knocking, And maybe you've experienced something like this in your own life. I think it's a fairly common experience that we have, right? And there will be times when the confidence that we have in our abilities or even the reputation that we have for something good, there comes a point when we're exposed and the truth comes out and these humbling moments serve as a reality check. They serve as a wake up call. And while these experiences are painful and humbling, they're necessary. And if we let them, they can serve us well. Now last week, we, like I said, we began this teaching series called To the Church in Elk Grove. And, and throughout this series, we're going to be taking a look at four of the seven letters that John wrote to various churches in the province of Asia. And while we're not the initial recipients of those letters, they apply to us as well, to the church in Elk Grove. And we know this because John writes in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is the one who hears the words of this prophecy, and blessed are are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near." So this morning, we're going to take a closer look at the letter to the church in Sardis, which is found in Revelation chapter 3. And as we do, we'll find this letter serves as a reality check, as a wake-up call for this church in Sardis. So feel free, if you have a copy of God's Word, to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Or you can navigate there in your Bible app so you can follow along with us this morning. Revelation chapter 3. And before we dive into this letter itself, allow me to provide you with some information about this ancient city. As you can see from the map behind me or on your screen, if you're joining us from home or online, uh, Sardis is relatively close to the location of the other churches that John wrote these letters to in Revelation and last week when Elder Mark kicked off this series, he mentioned that the distance between these churches was similar to Elk Grove, Bodega Bay on the coast, moving further down the coast to Santa Cruz, and then back up to Stockton. So this is kind of the general proximity of these churches. And despite their general uh, geographical proximity, life for the believers, the, those followers of Jesus in Sardis, was much different compared to life of the believers in those other cities. You see, Sardis was this city of sophisticated paganism. There was an openness to or a tolerance for many beliefs and rituals. If they had cars in this point in history, they would have been all about those coexist bumper stickers that you see people driving around with, right? A whole bunch of religious symbols put together to spell the word coexist. These people would have been all about slapping that on the back of their car. And this tolerance for all these beliefs and rituals is what opened the door for the Jewish community to thrive in this city. There was, in this, even, even in this ancient city, there was a massive synagogue, and, and it was right next to some of these other pagan centers for worship. And even just the presence of this building was evidence that the Jews were able to peacefully coexist with everyone, even though they would have rejected the pagan worship that was common in this city. And of course, since the Jews thrived there, it makes sense that Christians followers of Jesus, also benefited from this this tolerance or this openness to other beliefs. And that specific point is significant, because unlike the other churches that John writes to, there is no mention of persecution when writing to the church in Sardis, which is this clear evidence, indication of their peaceful coexistence. Now, Certainly, there is nothing wrong with being able to peacefully coexist. In fact, that's exactly what Paul calls all of us to do. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. However, it seems that the byproduct of their peaceful coexistence was a growing comfort with the world and complacency In living out their faith. And it's this troubling reality that John addresses in his letter to the church in Sardis. And I would encourage you to follow along as I read chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Now, as is the case in the other letters, John is the one who puts pen to paper, But these messages, these letters are really from Jesus. And so, of course, Jesus is familiar with the church in Sardis. He's aware of their actions. Verse 1 says, I know your deeds. He's even familiar enough to know that they have this reputation of being alive. But he also knows that this reputation that they have isn't based on reality. And so as I was reading this text, as I was studying this text, the question that came to my mind is how did they go from having this reputation of being alive to being dead or close to it? How does that happen? And unfortunately, the text doesn't directly answer that question for us, and so we're left to speculate. And and so I found myself wondering, were they living on past achievements? Maybe they did well for a time, but now they started to coast? Or perhaps did the lack of opposition that they faced make them comfortable and complacent? See, they might have thought, well, we must be doing well. Everyone likes us, right? People accept us. And and maybe they thought none of the other churches around us are experiencing anything, or we're not experiencing any of the persecution that they are experiencing, so we must be doing something right. But whatever it was, Perception did not match reality, and their reputation of being for being alive was a delusion. And here's the the tough and uncomfortable question that we have to wrestle with. And not only wrestle with as individual followers of Jesus, but wrestle with as a church body. We are one. And so we have to wrestle with this at an individual level and and as as a church family. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we in a similar position as the church in Sardis? Is the byproduct of the peaceful coexistence that we enjoy here in Elk Grove a church that has become comfortable and complacent when it comes to living out our faith? Does the reputation that we have of being a growing and healthy church in Elk Grove— Does that match reality? See, I think there would be plenty of people at our church at LifePoint who would say, we have a reputation of being alive. And and you might say that as well. But why? Have you ever stopped to think about that question? Like, hey, I I really enjoy going here. I I, I enjoy attending on Sundays. And, And yeah, I think this is a vibrant place to be. I think this is a growing place, a healthy place to be. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why do I think that? Why do I believe that to be true? Why do I think that LifePoint is alive and healthy and thriving and and you throw in the adjective? Why? Is it because Pastor Chris is a good communicator and makes it a point of avoiding heresy? Like, okay, that's something. Is it because we have a solid band and you enjoy the style of the music that they play? Is it because we have programs for your kids or your teenagers? Is it because you have friends who also attend LifePoint and so you feel like you have some community here? Is it because we pay our bills on time? Is it because we're a permanent facility and we're not a portable church anymore? So you're like, hey, they must not be going anywhere. Do you like the paint color on the walls? Is it the comfortable chairs? Like, like what is it? Why do you think LifePoint is a healthy church? And, And certainly there's nothing wrong with these things, but I don't know that they ought to serve as signs of health. And, of course, this begs the question, well, what are markers of a healthy church? What are markers of a church that is alive? Well, if if the mission of the church is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples— then we should probably measure things that help us know if we're successfully accomplishing the mission, right? That just makes good sense. And so we need to track metrics that let us know if we're making disciples because that's what healthy churches do. Now, the four metrics then that we're going to use to help us to determine if we're making disciples are conversions, service, reproduction, and multiplication. Now, if you're like, Derek, how'd you come up with those? I didn't come up with these. There's this guy by the name of Dan Spader, and he's been a believer, a follower of Jesus for years and years and years. And he's done tons of study and research on this and has consulted with many different churches and says these are the metrics to track. If you want to know if you are a successful disciple-making church, conversion, service, reproduction, and multiplication, And so when it comes to disciple making metrics, we have to start with conversions, meaning are people getting saved, putting their faith and trust in Jesus at life point or through people who attend life point? And most churches, LifePoint included, this is celebrated, this is marked by baptism, which is the outward expression of that internal transformation, right? We immerse people in water to symbolize the new life they have in Jesus. We dunk them in a bathtub on wheels, essentially. It doesn't have to be that. It could be in a river, a pool, wherever there is a body of water. And so that's kind of how we signify that. Since the start of 2020, we have baptized one person at LifePoint. 18 months. There are 173,000 plus people living in Elk Grove, and we've seen one of them come to know Jesus in the last 18 months. Derek, but COVID. We were meeting outside. We've been meeting in person for all but five of those 18. So if you want to get really technical, okay, 13 months where we had the opportunity. But we all got pools. We all got rivers. It's not like, oh, the church is closed. We can't do this. 18 months. One. One baptism. Here's the brutal reality. If our mission as followers of Jesus is to make disciples or more followers of Jesus, it's going to be awfully hard for us to be healthy if this isn't happening. Our church could be exploding in size But if the growth is primarily from people coming to LifePoint from other churches and not because they put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, we could be the biggest church in El Grove, and that doesn't mean we're any kind of healthy. It doesn't matter. Are you making followers of Jesus? Another disciple-making metric is service. Are Life Pointers serving, whether that be in the community or on our campus on a regular basis? Certainly, there are plenty of people who serve faithfully at Life Point, but there are also plenty of positions waiting to be filled. Back in February, we made an effort to fill some of those positions by hosting Connect Sunday. We do it twice a year. It's an event in which we highlight various volunteer opportunities and allow for people to come check those out. And even if they want, sign up for it that day. Back in February, we had 30 different ways for people to sign up to serve, accounting for over 100 different positions. 75% of those positions went unclaimed after that Sunday. At the end of March, we hosted a week of service in which we coordinated numerous ways. We would go and serve our community, not even in the walls of our building. Go out and serve our community over a seven-day span. And admittedly, we learned some things along the way, and next time we will do a few things differently. But our church of 600, that accounts for the attrition due to COVID. Our church of 600 had 26 people sign up. 26. And I got to tell you, as that week approached as even as we were in the middle of that week, I was genuinely concerned about whether or not I was going to have to jump on the phone and say, Hey, I know we were going to come and serve you guys at some point this week, but we can't anymore. We don't have enough people who signed up. The third disciple-making metric is reproduction. Meaning, is there an increasing number of people at life point who have led someone to Christ for the first time. Now, that can be a little confusing. So let me explain it this way. Let's say Pastor Chris leads 5 people to the Lord this year. And then each of our elders lead another 5 people to the Lord this year. And and praise God for all of that, right? That would be fantastic. And, and it would be worth celebrating because of that first disciple-making metric of conversions, it's starting to happen. But if Pastor Chris and the elders are the only ones who are leading people to the Lord, we have a problem. You see, the calling to make disciples or to spiritually reproduce ourselves, that applies to every follower of Jesus. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was talking to you. He was talking to you. Yeah, he was talking to me. He was talking to Pastor Chris, Pastor Trevor, Pastor Noah, all the church staff, every church staff everywhere. He was talking to you as well. Make disciples. You see, and, and in order for us to be a healthy disciple-making church, the number of people who are playing a significant role and other people coming to know the Lord for the very first time, it has to be increasing. And unfortunately, I know this isn't happening right now because we baptized one person in the last 18 months. And, and while all of us must take ownership of the lack of spiritual reproduction, I got to tell you, this weighs heavy on me as one of your pastors. Because I don't know that we've done a very good job of equipping you to know how to lead people to Jesus. And, and so when it comes to looking in the mirror, this hasn't been fun. The final disciple-making metric is, is multiplication. Meaning how many people have seen their disciple, the person they led to the Lord, make a new disciple? You see, this is crazy. And I think we get this wrong a lot of times. The end game isn't to lead people to Jesus. And you're like, what? The end game is not to lead people to Jesus. It's to lead people to Jesus who are capable of leading people to Jesus, who are capable of leading people to Jesus. It's all about multiplication. And this is exactly what Jesus modeled for us. In Dan Spader's book, he he writes, Jesus' mission was not to reach the world as much as it was to make disciples capable of reaching the world. He invested in 12 dudes. That was it. He, He didn't come to reach the entire world. He invested in 12 guys and said, Now it's your job to go and make disciples, to multiply yourselves. And admittedly, multiplication can be difficult to track. But if we've only celebrated one baptism in the last 18 months, I can tell you there's not much multiplication going on right now. Okay, just the uplifting and encouraging message. Everybody came to here this morning, right? Aren't you glad you came? You're like, well, I want to be in the 10, 30 or 10 a.m. service this morning. <laughs> I regret everything. <laughs> and look, I, I get I'm not painting a very pretty picture here. And if you're new to LifePoint, you're probably like, I'm not sure I should be sitting here right now. (laughs) And I promise my intent is not to scare you away. I genuinely believe this is an amazing place to be. It is. But like every other church, we have work to do. We have work to do. And I want to make sure that the perception that we have of ourselves is based on reality. I don't want us to think we're something that we're not. Have you ever heard someone sing from stage and you've asked yourself, who gave them a microphone? Right? We've all been there. Never at one, of course. Um, although I, I, I have sang at LifePoint, so you're probably like, yeah, who gave you a microphone? Um <laughs> but who gave them a microphone, right? And, and, and sure, maybe they just had an off day or, or maybe that song didn't cater well to their abilities. It happens. But sometimes that person is still on stage with a microphone in their hand because no one ever confronted them with the truth as brutal as it may have been. And certainly that's a difficult message to deliver and one that needs to be done in a loving way. But when that message goes undelivered, No one wins. Because there will come a point in time when that person who's been singing, hopefully sooner than later, will realize, I'm not very good at this. And when they come to that realization, they'll also think, no one was kind enough to have a hard conversation with me, to tell me, I stink at this. And for as long as that truth goes untold, It's brutal for everyone because we have to listen to it, right? No one wins. And I care too much about our church to let that be us. I don't want us to be the Inspector Clouseau of churches, brimming with self-confidence and completely lost. I don't want that to be us. But in order to avoid that reality, we have to face the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And I realize this message has been a tough pill to swallow. To be quite honest, I've been dreading this day for weeks. Weeks. Thankfully, though, there there is some encouraging news for us as well. First, you should be encouraged to know that the rebuke found in verse 2, it doesn't apply to everyone in the church of Sardis. And it doesn't apply to everyone in our church either. Revelation chapter 3 verse 4 says, You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. What an awesome image. (laughs) Especially as one with children, right? Like, yeah. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. And while the majority of the church in Sardis was in need of a wake-up call, there were a few who had not soiled their clothes. And while they, we aren't told exactly what this group did to set themselves apart, I think based on co- the, the context, it's safe to pre- presume that their faith was alive and well, and it was dis- uh, displayed in action, demonstrated through action. And thankfully, we also have some people in our church whose faith is vibrant and evident in the way they live their lives. Amazing men and women of God who are obedient and committed and faithful to God's call on their lives. And so to those of you who are doing your very best to walk as Jesus did, thank you. Please don't give up and don't give in. We need your example. We need you to lead us. We need you to call us, your brothers and sisters in Christ, back to faithfulness and keep working hard because we know there are good things to the, come to those who overcome. John writes about this in verse 5. He says, I, meaning Jesus is speaking, will never blot out his name from the book of life. but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. It's not all of us. Second, the rest of us who need to get our act together should be encouraged to know that it's not too late to make changes. And for sure, this letter comes as a stern warning to churches and to Christians who have fallen asleep at the wheel. And there will be consequences for those who remain in this state. Verse three says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, there's a difference, among, a difference of opinion amongst Bible scholars as to what this means exactly. But here's what I know. One, it ain't good. Two, I don't want to experience it. Right? I want nothing to do with that. And so we don't have to. We don't have to experience that, thankfully, as long as we heed the warning and respond to the call to action. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us. It's pretty cool. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Now, to be clear, this is no front desk wake-up call from a hotel. Uh, Mr. Goody, yes? Uh, Good morning. It's 6 a.m. This is your wake-up call. We just wanted to let you know uh, it's time to get up and have a great day. No, I don't think Jesus is going with a gentle approach here. This is table flipping Jesus, right? Wake up, right? Let's go. Strengthen what remains. There's too much riding on this for us to have a delusion of a life not based on reality. There's too many people in Elk Grove that we're called to reach. I told you what to do. Obey it. It's time to Go. It's time to turn this thing around. Table flipping Jesus. See, like the church in Sardis, I think there are too many people in the church in Elk Grove who profess faith but never get around to living it out or do so inconsistently. And while I wish that weren't the case, the disciple-making metrics seem to confirm that reality. And there are people that we consider to be brothers and sisters in the faith who are living as if all is good, as if they are alive. When in reality, they're closer to death. There's a verse that I've come across uh, quite a bit recently. And it it serves as a reality check for me. And I'll share it with you. And and perhaps it'll serve as a wake-up call that you need as well. First John chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 and this is what it says This is how we know we are in him Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did Whoever claims to live or to be in him must walk as Jesus did And I've had to ask myself Am I walking like Jesus did? Am I living my life like Jesus did? There doesn't seem to be much wiggle room here. And while we know that God is gracious, of course, this is the standard he calls us to, to walk as Jesus did. And of course, there's always going to be reasons or excuses for why we can't. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need. What? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And if that's true, if we have everything we need, then you can take all of your excuses and throw them out the window because you either have excuses or you believe in Scripture. We have everything we need. So what's it going to be? Are you going to wake up? Or are we going to hit the snooze button? For those of you who have a a genuine desire to walk as Jesus did, and I know there's many of you in this room, you have a desire to walk as Jesus did, you have a desire to develop an authentic reputation for being alive. we got to wake up and get back to doing what Jesus did. In his book, Walk Like Jesus, Dan Spader talks about six foundational priorities on which Jesus built his life and ministry. And these six foundations, these six principles, the priorities are dependence on the Holy Spirit, a life of fervent prayer, obedience to God's kingdom agenda. You don't get to call the shots. Centrality of the word, scripture in your life. Exalting God always, giving Him praise for everything good in your life because it was Him. You had nothing to do with it. And intentional relationships with His disciples and the crowds. Being intentional relationally to reach other people. To help us remember, Spader created the acronym, Holy Spirit Power. Holy Spirit Power. Holy Spirit Dependence. Prayerful Guidance. Obedient Living. Word-centered. Exalting the Father. Relational intentionality and he goes on to write these foundational priorities will, will help us to practically understand what it means to walk like Jesus and if you and I claim to be followers of Jesus then these priorities ought to be evident in our lives as well and this is a lifestyle thing this is going to take time to develop no one's expecting you to get it tomorrow and, and that's okay right It's a a journey. Some of you might be sitting here this morning and and, and maybe you're ready to take action. Like, i got to do something. And and we want to give you an opportunity to do so. Immediately following the service, you can come up to the tables on either side of the stage and you can talk to someone about what it looks like to serve at LifePoint or even in the community. And our team would be happy to help get you connected in that way. And of course, if you're watching online or even if you have to slip out immediately after the service, we know how that goes. And we got you covered as well. You can go to lifepoint.org serve. And once you fill out that form, our team will follow up with you as well. My hope is that this message serves as a wake-up call for us. And I know it will, might be painful and uncomfortable right now. But ultimately, I pray that this would serve us well, spur us on toward developing a reputation of being alive, a reputation that's rooted in reality. And with God's help, we can become the healthy, disciple-making church that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. Even when it comes with a kick in the pants, God, it's incredible that you, it was always your plan to use the church to reach people. You put that responsibility on us, fallen and broken people. God, what is it, what a privilege it is to join you in this mission. God, but we need your help. God, and we confess, we we repent, God, we 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 acknowledge that. We've been missing the mark. Help us, Lord. We want to do everything we can through you to expand your kingdom here on earth. For your glory and for your honor alone. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.